0: Let's, let's stand and read the passage for today. John five sixteen through 30. So,
1: because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father has always had his work to this very day, and I too am working.
0: For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him.
1: Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son, and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, and all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me as eternal life will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, the time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and
0: those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself,
1: so he has granted the Son
0: also to have life in
1: himself. And he has given him authority to judge, because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and will come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to life, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear. My judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sins. me. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Lord God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the
0: meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Oh Lord, our rock ever and ever and
1: You guys can be ever
0: right, well, uh, and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and the and
1: here, I think we've started. Hope we're starting to see this. As we move through, um, John, who wrote this, he's a brilliant writer. Um, this story that we've been focusing on, you know, Jesus healing this guy this pool and the events after, it's so vivid. Um, the way that he records Jesus' speeches, how, how he... Uh, pick out which ones to record. And the way that John uses imagery and metaphor, it's brilliant. Yeah. Another thing that's brilliant about John's Gospel is, uh, in the Greek that it's written in, it's like the most basic elementary level Greek. After I took like two semesters of Greek in seminary, I could slowly work through the Greek of John's Gospel. This is written on like a first, second grade reading level. But the imagery, and the way that he tells a story is just so,
0: so rich. Things that come to my mind, um, we metaphors for sure. But think about maybe books in our culture that have, that they're written on maybe a, a,
1: a entry level, reading level, but on a literary level, they're top shelf. Like here like at Carter, it's, easier language to read, but you can read that book, at least the first one, over and over again, and it is just so rich. It's like that. And what we've learned is we, as we move moved through it, we've been calling it a slow hike because we're moving slowly, but also because there's places where we want to stop and just, like, admire the landscape. And part of the landscape we want to admire is not just the story he's telling, but the way he's telling it. and. Uh, and why he's telling you. The first week of John's Gospel, remember we started at the end, there's that verse at the end, John 20, 31, where he says, you know, Jesus did a bunch of stuff, we couldn't record everything that he did, but we recorded these things, these things are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. It's good for us to remember that John is not just flexing his artistic muscles. John is using all of this storytelling, all of this imagery, he's, he's using it to get to us. He's, he's trying to break through our skepticism, he's trying to break through our judgment, he's trying to get to our hearts, I think he's even trying to get to our imaginations and help us to see Jesus in an effective way. Help us to see Jesus... Not just with our thoughts, but also with our feelings. Not just with our heads, but also with our hearts. Because he wants us to believe in
0: Jesus. That's not just cognitive. That's effective. It has to do with our affections. Because when we believe in Jesus,
1: when our whole body, our whole being, cries out for Jesus, that's where life is. That's where we experience life in this world that's filled with death. That's what John's doing. So we're moving slowly. And we've been in the John 5 story for a couple of weeks now. This is week 3 in John 5. Especially slowing down here because this is a turning point in the gospel. That's why John spends like, this is a long story. He goes through, he tells the story. Jesus went to Jerusalem. He we went to this pool. There was a guy there. He'd been there forever. Disabled people that for 38 years. There was this healing pool. Uh, we learned from that one little passage that was a part of John's gospel, but came in early, probably from an early commentator. Something that would have been in the cultural air at the time. That this healing pool was was not like a this was not like a God thing. This is like, like a like a folk religion thing. This is uh, in fact, there are other healing pools that, that archaeologists have found. when I read? In the area, this is this is a folk religion. We're taking ideas from true religion. We're we're taking our cultural stories and we're mixing them together. And there's this idea that somebody could sit by a pool and an angel would come and stir the waters. First one in competition gets healed, and we should recognize that if you study anthropology or history or world literature or uh, historical religions. That might sound familiar. There's healing pool stories all over the world. In fact, I think I told you a story I read about uh, about a lady that was investigating session minutes from Presbyterian churches in 16th century Scotland and found a bunch of cases of church discipline from people skipping in on church to go to the local healing pool. Anyway, uh, that's for fun. Okay, but it really happened. Anyway, we've been in John 5. There's a story, the guy's in the healing pool. Jesus shows up and he confronts the folk religion. He speaks into the moment and heals the guy. The guy, the pool couldn't heal for years and years. He couldn't get in. Jesus shows up and heals him like that. The guy didn't have to do anything. And then the guy gets up. The, Jesus even goes further. He speaks directly to the real problem. The guy's sin problem. He doesn't just set the man free from his disability; he sets him free from his heart disability. He confronts the folk religion, and then the second week we looked at how all the Judean religious establishment, the official, like the church leaders of today in, in Jerusalem, uh, they opposed Jesus because they thought Jesus was breaking the Sabbath because they told the how to pick up his mat and walk. And they got that from taking Bible verses. About the Sabbath that has to do with carrying things. But then again, folk religion. Interpreting them not through, uh, not through what God was doing in scripture, not through what God was doing in Christ, but through cultural stories. Through cultural trauma even. Through sociological, through, through, the, through their own experiences. And they have come up with this list of do's and don'ts on the Sabbath. And Jesus was breaking them, until so they said, you're out. Religion for them was a very cut and dry road that you walk, do's and don'ts is black and white. You follow these rules, and you get God's blessing, and Jesus is breaking the rules. Jesus broke their rule on purpose. Why? Because he's confronting their own religion. Remember that?
0: So all of this happens. And then they're like, "What?" They basically say something like that, that's what they It says they
1: start to persecute him. It says, in his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this day, and I too am working. And then it says they start trying to figure out a way to kill him. Now, back to John's literary brilliance. One of the things about this passage we haven't talked about yet is the way that John writes this, he writes it sort of like it's a,
0: like like it's a, it's
1: actually kind of like an episode of Law and Order. There's like a courtroom thing here. You guys watch Law & Order? No. I said, Does anyone know what Law & Order is? Created by Dick Wolf, long-standing, multi-decade franchise on TV? Okay. If you don't know what it is, just, I'm sorry, we're gonna act like you do. Um, Law & Order is a TV show, and there's lots of different Law & Order shows, but they all start with basically showing a, an event, a crime. And then after that, it shows uh, there's an investigation, and it follows the police through the investigation, and then it usually shows there's some kind of arrest, and then it follows the lawyers through charging the person, and then it shows the courtroom drama, and then it shows witnesses coming in, and then at the end you see that the person is convicted, or acquitted, wanted to get Everything happens in one hour. Well, here, in this story, we see all of those major elements in this story. There's an event. That crime, even though it really wasn't. Jesus heals the man and tells him, pick up your mat and walk. In the religious mind of the Judean leaders, he committed a crime. And we see that. It's described for us. And then it's followed by an investigation. They start asking questions. They ask the man who was healed, Who did this to you? The guy looks around, he finds
0: Jesus. Jesus comes in, there's a charge. They accuse Jesus uh, They've, they've, they've accused Jesus. Um, let's see, what verse is that?
1: It says, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. And then there's a defense, verse 17. It says, in his defense, Jesus said that. Jesus is now defending himself. And the passage we look at today, from basically from uh, verse 17, in his defense, Jesus said, My father is always at work to this day. I too am working. For this reason, i turn on to more to kill him, because he was breaking the Sabbath, even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And Jesus gave him this answer, very truly I tell you, and then long discourse. That's Jesus' defense speech. we're going to look at that in here in a minute. And then starting at verse 31, which isn't on your paper, Jesus starts to call witnesses. And the whole thing is set up like a courtroom. That's pretty awesome. So why am I telling you all of this?
0: The reason I'm describing
1: how all this fits in a literary way is because it's important for us if we're going to get the message John wants us to get to read this discourse that's on our paper, Jesus' little speech here, as a speech that he gives defending himself.
0: We need to read it that way. Jesus is giving an answer. Jesus is giving the why. So what would the questions
1: be that Jesus is answering? What is Jesus defending himself against? Well, he's defending himself against the charge that he is a Sabbath-breaker. The charge that he came in and told this guy, pick up your mat and walk. But it goes deeper than that. They said that he was making himself equal with God. They were upset because Jesus was poking his nose in their business. Jesus had just challenged not only the folk religion of the man, but also the folk religion of the establishment.
0: Jesus had just come in and thrown down the gauntlet on the church. And this, they began to persecute him, you could almost hear their voices, "What gives
1: you the right to talk to us this way? Who do you think you are? How can you tell that guy guy? How can you just come in here and start reinterpreting things? How can you say,
0: God is your own father? Who gives you the right to challenge us in this way? Basically, what Jesus is being charged with is crossing the boundary. crossing a boundary into these people's lives. Do you see that?
1: So what right do you have to come in here Try to reorder my religious, our religious establishment, our rules, our pool, our Sabbath. Who do you think you are? And Jesus gives this long defense. And if we read it this way, it should lead us as readers today, people who don't live in
0: Jerusalem, who live in Portland, um, or around Portland, we should read this, and we need to read it also as a defense. And then we need to look at places we ask the same
1: kinds of questions that these religious leaders were asking Jesus. So, maybe it would go like this. As we've talked about folk religion versus true religion in the last few weeks, maybe the kinds of questions that have been in our hearts that we've actually raised that Jesus is answering here
0: would be questions like this. What gives Jesus the right to step into my life? To step into my church, to step into my world, and start challenging my value system, start challenging my beliefs.
1: What gives him the right to come in
0: and start messing with my stuff? What what gives or any other preacher or any other teacher
1: who's preaching Jesus. The right to say that Jesus is a person who confronts my sincerely held beliefs that I
0: draw from my own story, from my community, from my home, from my family.
1: Which Jesus, the Jesus that confronts folk religion, who does he think
0: he is? And the people who teach him, who do they he is? I think this is real. Some of the things we've discussed over the
1: last few weeks, where Jesus confronts us over our sin, how we mix in cultural stories with the gospel and pollute it, things like Christian nationalism, things like the idea that America holds some special place in God's redemptive plan, maybe because of our democracy or because of the way we were founded or because we support the of the contemporary political nation of Israel or things like that. Ideas that America holds a place in God's redemptive plan that's special because we're America, that's called Christian nationalism. That's folk religion. Jesus says no. What gives him the right? What gives him the right to confront prosperity gospel? It makes sense to me that if I do the right thing, God should bless me. It's an exchange. I put the faith in, and he puts the blessing out. But he says, no, why won't he bless me when I do everything right? Our church has been faithful, why won't we grow? What
0: gives him the right to do this to us? Or things like moralism, folk religion. Moralism, that's what
1: the the religious leaders were doing during in the story. The idea that if I follow the law, if I do it right,
0: I'm okay. I'm good people. What we read later in 1 John says that if you say you have no sin, you're a liar.
1: You're making God out to be a liar. So the idea that we might carry around in our religion that we're doing it right, therefore we are good people, that's folk religion. Wrong. None of us are good people.
0: Only Jesus is good people. What gives him the right to come in and mess with our stuff? Well, he offers a defense. And we have it here. So in Jesus' own
1: words, what gives him the right, and what gives the people who teach Jesus the right, to point fingers at our sincerely held beliefs and say, this can stay, this needs to go?
0: Well, the answer,
1: as Jesus describes it here, I think we can summarize it this.
0: In Jesus' own words, it's his unique relationship with the Father that gives him the right. It's Jesus' unique relationship with the Father that makes him the person of true religion. And that gives him the right to confront our folk religion. In other words, according to Jesus here,
1: what gives this Jesus that we're talking about today, the right to get into my business,
0: according to him, it's because of his relationship with the Father. Now, have you ever heard that before? Have you ever heard a preacher or a teacher, or anybody, say that Jesus' is badge that he
1: pulls out Jesus' ID card that gets him into the inner
0: circle of your heart to rearrange your inner furniture is his relationship with the Father? Really? That's the thing? Not like rose from the dead or born of a virgin. Relationship with the Father? Yeah, that's it. According to Jesus. It's his relationship with the Father that gives him the right to show up at the door of your heart and say, let me in,
1: it's time to rearrange
0: the furniture in here. Okay, what is it about his relationship with the Father? What is it about Jesus'
1: relationship with the Father that makes him different than every other so-called Jesus we hear about in our culture? The John Wayne-like Jesus of Christian nationalism. The Santa Claus Jesus of prosperity gospel. The rule-following, ruler-snapping Jesus of moralism. What makes this Jesus different? His relationship with the Father. Well, what about it? Well, in this discourse, Jesus describes his
0: relationship with the Father in two ways. He describes it as a relationship characterized by equality.
1: That's number one. And a relationship characterized by submission.
0: That's number two. What is it about
1: Jesus' unique relationship with the Father? Well, it's equality and submission.
0: Those two things. Okay, Charlie, now you're losing. Well, let's go to the text. Let's look at it.
1: Jesus is insisting here that he is the Son who is equal to the Father. His opponents identify it right from the beginning. They say, he's making himself out to be equal with God. Jesus is insisting that he is the Son who is eternally equal to the Father. We talk about the Trinity, God is Father, Son, and Spirit. Jesus is the Son, and he's saying, I, the Son,
0: am absolutely equal to the Father. Verse 17 says he calls God his
1: own Father. And as the Father works on the Sabbath, so does he. This was taken as a statement of him saying he's equal with God and make people really mad. He's saying the Father's prerogatives are his prerogatives. The Father's work is his work. The Father's authority is his authority. It's not a new idea in John's Gospel. We read it earlier. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. But Jesus goes on. Verse 21 through 23. He talks about how the Father has the power to give life. The Father has the power to judge. The Father has the power over life and death. And He, as the Son, has that same power. Verse 21. Just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so the Son gives life to whoever he's pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one but
0: has entrusted all judgment to the Son. And the Hebrew mind, which is accurate,
1: uh, God is the only person who has power over life and death. And God is the only person who has the right to judge people. And Jesus here is saying, I have power over life and death, and I have power to judge. In fact, um, me and the Father both have that. He's, he's claiming equality with God.
0: He goes on in verse 23, he says,
1: All may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. Jesus is saying that as the Father is honored, worship. So the Son is honored and worshipped. Jesus and the rest of his community were staunch monotheists. We only worship God. We don't worship anyone else. And Jesus is saying, you
0: worship the Father, you also worship the Son. Honor the Father, honor the Son. Equality.
1: He says in verse 26, as the Father has life in himself, so the Son has life in himself. Not only is the Father Father God have power over life and death. Father God is the source of all life. Jesus is saying that the Son, he's the source. In John 1, it says, in him was life, and that life was the light of humankind. What Jesus
0: is saying here is there is no separation. There is no
1: we can't say there's anything different about him as the son and the father, except for the fact that he's son and father. That's it. The father-son relationship is the only thing we can point to and say there's a difference. Everything else is equal. is the same. In the 5th century Athanasian Creed, it says, not one is higher than the other. Not one is below the other.
0: We've talked about how, um,
1: the, the fancy theological word, uh, there's a fancy theological word called eternal generation, describing the son's relationship to the father. And it's the idea that as the son, he's eternally generated from the father. Like, like parents generate their kids biologically. The father generates the son, but it's eternal. So Becca and I just had a baby, Mae. We generated Mae. That happened in time. So Maeve came into being as um well as as, as a little tiny little thing in Becca's belly. And we grew and then was born as a little tiny thing. And now it's growing and she's going to mature. And one day, it's our hope that one day Maeve is going to grow up and to fully mature, and one day we can look at her and we can say, you know what? There's not a relationship of authority and submission here. There's no, we're equals.
0: We're peers now.
1: Maybe you have matured. We are now peers. I think that's every good parent's hope is that the kids grow up to be peers. Well, the father generates the son eternally. There's no timeline, which means there's no maturing. There's no beginning and end, which means the generation is full in all the time. So, the son is generated as the father's equal, as his, I guess we could say, peer. We're like this, as Mae shares genes for me and Becca, she looks like me and Becca, so the son looks like the father. The son shares the essence of the father, shares the will of the father, shares the life of the father. But because it's eternal, there's no degradation. There's no step down, there's no mudding of the waters, there's no mixing or anything like that. Equal. Nicene Creed, we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten from, begotten, eternally generated, from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Why does Jesus show up in our lives, in the lives of people in the story, start rearranging the furniture, turning over tables, confronting folk religion, demanding that he be the source, and only source, and only ruler, and only director of true religion in our lives, no matter what the cost? his relationship with the Father, and it's one of equality. When we look at Jesus, we see God Almighty. And God Almighty can do whatever He wants because there is no one
0: like Him. What gives Jesus the right to mess with our church, even though we've been faithful? He's God. What gives Jesus the right
1: to confront little cultural Jesuses that don't match up? Because He's God and they're not. Folks, you can go places You can even go to other churches, you can read Christian books or blogs that ignore or diminish or deny this aspect about Jesus. There is even a big movement within the reformed world, the reformed evangelical world in the last 20 years talking about the Son's eternal submission to the Father. That's blasphemy! He's equal to the Father! You can go places where Jesus is talked about as just a model teacher, as some kind of superhero, as some kind of great American, as some kind of whatever fill in the blank. And that's it. No! He is God. End of story. Therefore, if we want to worship God, Jesus gets to be the one who directs the whole
0: thing. That's what gets in the right. Okay? okay. But he also talks about submission,
1: equality and submission. He says the son does nothing without the father. He says the son watches the father and does what the father does. Looks like oh, looks like the father's in the lead there. He says that the father entrusts judgment to the son. The father is giving the son something, trusting him with something. He says that the father sent the son. There's like a commissioning thing.
0: There is submission. How does that work? And what does it mean? We can't read this passage and deny the fact that Jesus is saying
1: that the Son is submitted to the Father. And that's part of what gives him the right to get into your life and start messing with it. What is it about? Well, can't we even be denied you holy. We can't do what some theologians have done, like Wayne Grudem or Bruce Ware
0: or others, and say the Son is eternally submitted to effect. No. That's that's blasphemy. We can't deny equality. So how do we have submission with equality?
1: Well, some people say, oh, it's sort of like our relationships of authority and submission here in the world. We're all equal as human beings, and some people get to be in charge. No. We don't remake the Trinity in our image. We don't talk about the Trinity and define their relationships based on our relationships. No, no, no. The Trinity defines life. It doesn't go backwards. We're in God's image. We don't remake God in our image.
0: So, it's not that. What is it? Well, she, I think, is in verse. Uh, where is it? Uh, I think it's in verse. Oh, yeah. It's this whole thing.
1: Verse 24. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed from death to life. Very truly I tell you, a time is coming, it is now coming when the devil will hear the voice of the Son of God, those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, he has given authority to judge, because he is the Son of Man. It goes on and on and on. Uh, yeah, okay, sorry, I'm getting lost here. Here's the point. What does the Father show the Son, when the Father starts showing him things? What does the Father... What does the Son watch the Father in order to learn how to do, presumably? Why does the Father entrust the Son with something? Why does the Father send the Son? Well, all of these things, all of these verbs that sort of denote submission, sending, watching, entrusting, all of these things, they all have to do with the action of the Son bringing salvation to the world. They all have to do with this, whoever hears my word and believes, eternal life. They all have to do with the economy of salvation. Okay? So, the submission is not in their being, not in the ontology. It's in the economy. It's in their actions. Right. So the son is not less than the father, but he does something. He voluntarily, it's puts that he doesn't let go of the equality, but he puts submission on over the equality. In Philippians 2 it says that he didn't count equality with God, something with be grasped, but put on the form of a servant, making himself nothing.
0: How has the Son submitted to the Father? By becoming a human being in order to save us. That's how he's submitted to the Father. What? So, okay.
1: The Athanasian Creed, 5th century, says as regards his divinity, he's equal. As regards his humanity, he's less than. Here's the point. Jesus is telling his people, I have this unique relationship with the Father, and it goes like this. I am his equal. But I have become his subordinate by becoming just like you, by putting on subordination, by putting on humanity for the purpose of saving you, so that you might hear my word, is the word of God, remember, and be saved. And if we zoom out, the picture that Jesus is painting here of his relationship with the Father
0: looks like this because He's equal to the Father and He's the source and object of true religion. We need
1: to turn away from our folk religion, our lesser Jesuses. The great American Jesus, Santa Claus Jesus, the follow the rules Jesus. We need to turn away from those. And we need to turn to Jesus who is God Almighty.
0: That's who He is. He's the object of true religion. But. We could never do that, because like the guy at the pool, we have a heart disability.
1: We're not good enough. We can't even follow our made up folk religion rules. How are we going to be adherents to true religion? We can barely look at Jesus. He shines so bright, every time we try to look at him, it just exposes
0: all of our sin. So Jesus became not only the object of true religion, He became the practitioner of true religion, for me and you. Do you see it? He's not only the one we look to and worship, he also became the perfect, faithful, and true worshiper. Jesus
1: is equal to the Father, but Jesus also worships the Father. So, he's equal to the Father, and that's what gives him the right to come
0: in and rearrange your furniture just like me and you, he submits to the Father. Which means when you and I can't,
1: he steps into your inner world with your new rearranged furniture, and he takes a seat and he says, I live here now because I'm God, I claim this for myself. And by the way, the person who lives here now is now a faithful worshiper of the true
0: God. And he says, come and sit next to me. You're living in a house household the faithful people of the God. That's the image. Do you see that? So when these people say, Jesus, what right do you have to come in and
1: mess up my perfectly curated religious experience? He says, well, I am the object and I am the lone source of true religion. There is no other. There is no one like me. You should have no other gods besides me. But also because you can't live up to that rule, I'm going to come alongside you, I'm going to put on flesh, and I'm going to do the thing that you could never do. I'm going to submit
0: to the Father on your behalf, as if I was you. Because in a way, he becomes one of us. So he not only clarifies the path to true religion, he walks it for us. So where does that leave us? Well, we've been confronted. We've seen the places he's pointed out our folk religion,
1: and it hurts. But now how are we going to, and we've been blinded by him showing his glory. He's the true God. He's he's
0: the God of Israel. He's the real deal. How are we ever going to turn around and be faithful? Well, we already have been because he did it for us. So what is there left for us to do? How do we be people of church religion? Well, all you have to do is what it says here. Whoever hears my word and believes, that's it. You don't have to follow any rules. Moralism, out the window. You don't have to earn any
1: blessing. Prosperity gospel, out the window. You don't have to be a part of any certain
0: ethnicity or political group. Christian nationalism of women. All you have to do is believe that Jesus is everything for you. And we see this when we look at his relationship to the Father. His relationship to the Father is God from God, light
1: from light. His relationship to the Father is also You and me, broken sinners, being brought to the Father's side. It says in John 1, to all who received him who
0: believed in his name, he gave the right to be called children of God. Here's the difference between the gospel of Jesus Christ and
1: every other religious system in the world. Every folk religion of our own making. Every other religious system says, if you do this, this, or this, fill in the blank, then you can, and then get the blessing, get close to God, earn eternal life, get to Nirvana, make a bunch of money, whatever it is you want.
0: If you do the thing, then you can get to that heavenly place. That's folk religion. Here's the gospel. Jesus shows up and he says, it's not if you, then you get to think. It's like this. I am, therefore you already have it if you want it. Happy birthday. Believe in me. That's the gospel. So let's try it back home. Every single
1: one of us struggles with folk. Our church struggles with folk. Churches in this area and all over the world struggle with folk religion. We all do. Folks, the gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel of repentance. When we see him in his glory, we need to openly acknowledge and admit that we are not glorious. We are sinful,
0: we are ugly, we are messed up, we are broken. But then he comes in and he Pick up your man. Let's walk. It's not sinning. Something worse might happen you. We can look at him, and like the Apostle Thomas does later in this gospel, we can fall on our faces and say, I'm Lord, i got God. And you know what he says in response? Yeah, you're right, that's me. So I'll solve your brother. Also on your friend. Also on your spouse. Also, I will never leave you, Jesus. About to close, I want to just say, which people, which which of us here are resisting this, Jesus? What is it in you that doesn't want this? What is it in you that wants to hold to some like other gospel?
1: Make you feel good. to do the Christian nationalism or prosperity gospel and moralism thing—it probably makes you feel good for like a day until you're honest with yourself
0: and you, you can't even move up to those rules. Turn away from your sins and turn to Jesus the life and the life and the Word of God. There is no other name under heaven by which you can be saved. Only Jesus. And he's already done the work.